Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Cable News with 100% fewer presidential perp walks. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naima Raza. We're back to covering his every move. <laughs> I just know. I, know. I didn't watch it all day. Let me give you the brief. It was like the O.J. Simpson car chase, just 100% slower. I don't want the brief. I don't want Perp Force One. I don't want any of it. I don't <laughs> want Force One. <laughs> No, thank you. At some point, you know, we're going to have to cover this. You know what I watched? I watched the comedy people, and they were very funny. What I liked was the 43 couples who were trying to get married at the courthouse yeah, yeah. that day. Well, New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi sent me pictures of them. <laughs> she was there. <laughs> she, she sent me very lovely pictures of this one couple getting married that was just adorable. So, Well, she's great. Her coverage on Trump has been great. And I think she's mm-hmm. guest hosting Pivot. She people is. People should check Next that Monday. out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I'm very excited for our guest today. Seema Sistani is the CEO of Weight Watchers. It is the perfect time for this interview because Weight Watchers has just announced last month that it's forking over $132 million to buy Mm -hmm. Sequence, a telehealth company that prescribes GLP-1 drugs. That includes drugs like Wagovi, Manjaro, Trilicity, and of course, the one everyone knows, Ozempic, the Mm -hmm. diabetes drug, which is being used off-label to treat weight gain. Um, It's a big deal, $132 million big, but also Mm -hmm. a big deal because for decades, Weight Watchers has been all about personal responsibility and lifestyle changes and not about medical intervention. So what do you make of the shift? Well, it's a really interesting issue because um, there's just a lot going on here. A lot of, I have a lot of people I know that are on it. Um, they don't want to be made fun of. They've had struggled with weight for years. Um, and this has become the, the silver bullet for them. And so they don't want to be judged about it. At the same time, you know, fitness is really important just for state of mind, but a lot of people just can't, you know, lose that last, I'm one of them, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I would take a Sembic, but uh, I wouldn't not consider it for sure. Mm-hmm. So I feel it's a uniquely American solution where like a relatively underregulated pharma industry is coming in to deal with another relatively underregulated industry, which is cornstarch, food manufacturers, yeah. et cetera, because obesity here is, is like, you know, 40% versus 25% in the UK or 15% mm-hmm. well, they're, in Europe. They're, their numbers are ticking up. so I would, They are. Like, or 4% yeah. in Japan, let's say. Yeah. But, there, but there's something in our food supply, something about our sedentary lifestyle. Yeah. You know, yeah. Michelle Obama was trying to get on this. Sure. So now we have a drug for that. So it seems like there's no reason to solve the underlying issue. Well, I, I don't know. Look, some of this stuff is genetic, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think some of this stuff can be treated medically the way you take statins for uh, cholesterol. There's certain drugs that maybe will help a little bit and get you into that zone where you don't eat as much. Because the fact of the matter is, is the reason is we eat too much and we eat too much shitty stuff. And yeah. That's, you know, and, that, and we don't move enough. It is odd, though, when you go shopping in an American supermarket. Like, I love Fruity Pebbles, and they like to advertise Fruity Ooh. Pebbles as gluten-free. 
<laughs> Whatever. But I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> why don't you advertise it as full of sugar and diabetes? Yeah, free slapdowns things. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know what to say. People in America like to eat bad food, and it's been a problem for a very long time, and we've we've exported it around the world, our bad food. Yeah. Um, and there's so much linked to health problems um, that, that just it's just a cascading effect. So I don't want to immediately be like no to this because there's yeah. so many more ensuing health problems that I, I want to I want to look for solutions here and if if it's a pill it's okay if it works if it's not damaging sure why not this is an injection but I, I agree with you it's it, it's not useful to be no because it's actually where the puck is heading because something is happening our obesity epidemic started 50 years ago our genes didn't just overnight change no, probably no. and so these broader issues of like exporting bad health culture yeah. i don't know yeah scary world um, i've had dinner with people with ozempic and they mm -hmm. don't eat no, they don't eat. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah. I, everyone's guessing who has Ozempic. I was at a breakfast this morning and I was like, three people here had Ozempic. I could see. I <sighs> watched them not eat and I wa they lost an enormous amount of weight in a very short amount of time. And I was like, hmm. and of course, no one wants to say so, but I do. I was like, obviously, Ozempic. They're like, well, I was like, why are you hiding? Like, it's fine. Just talk about it. It's fine. To yeah. Do it. Have you ever done Weight Watchers? Oh, yeah. Try had a baby. You like yeah. the point system? No, I just, all of them, I found new and yeah. useless. I found White Watchers somewhat useless. They're not useless. I just don't, uh, uh, they didn't work. How's that? Yeah. You know, what worked is you don't eat as much. And I guess keeping track of them felt like I had some modicum of control. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know. They work for a lot of people. There's a new one called Prolon. Do you know Prolon? No. I have it right now in my house. I haven't done it. It's a five-day mm -hmm. fast, basically. It mimics oh. a fast for your body, which is ironic oh. that it's like the month of Ramadan. I have why, prolonged. Why are you you're so skinny? <laughs> See, here's the thing. Why are you doing a fast? Uh, because slim. I think I think there's been all this conversation and content around cleanses. And so I've been, I have done many cleanses. Juice cleanses. No, that was a trend. Broth cleanses. Useless. I can't get my head around doing prolon because the uh, they're all useless. The I'm soup sorry. comes in like a plastic package that looks yeah. So sad. I cannot bring myself I can't to do it. You're doing that. Please don't. Please go. I have, it's been in the house pasta. for three months. I haven't Good. done it. Yeah, I think all of those things. I've done the juice thing. Uh, uh, it was stupid, and and as as it turns out, and I I drink I make a kale smoothie almost every day, but mm -hmm. um, but it's uh, it, it's just ridiculous. And yeah, there's a, I still have the glasses from it because they were so beautiful. The thing I think is good is like paleo or whole thirty. I also don't have the I discipline guess. to do I any of those, know. but that's just yeah. like I've avoiding. Done, I've done. I didn't do paleo. I did whole thirty. That was terrible. Did it, what did it work? No. No? no, they just they do and then they don't. You know what worked? I'll tell you what it was what weight when I break up with someone. I lose oh yeah, 20 me pounds. too. Someone's like, How? I said I just lost 130 pounds, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> but I lose weight when I break up with someone. Yeah, I do too. That's yeah. why I'm thinning, I'm skinny yeah. care. I'm perpetually breaking. <laughs> I just <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's exactly when I lose weight. I get ready for the next one. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I gain weight when I when I date because I'm yeah, like well, so happy. That means I'm gonna be fat. Yeah. I'm very happily married. So. Anyway, enough of this love-weight correlation. Let's get back to our guest, Seema Sistani. Uh, she's only been the CEO of Weight Watchers for about a year, but she's a techie with roots in Silicon Valley. She worked as Yahoo's first head of media under Marissa Mayer, someone you know very well. Mm -hmm. um, and more recently, she co-founded the House Party app, which was super popular at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm sure you were just house partying all over the place, Kara. <laughs> no. <laughs> Playing words with yeah. friends. Yeah, no. no, I'm not a house party kind of gal. Uh, no, uh, I, I, those were fine. I just thought all of them would crash and burn after everybody 
got to be outside, but you know, they worked during it. I mean, it was interesting. Um, you know, there was a bunch of them. Um, what was the one? Clubhouse. Clubhouse was whatever. the big one. You yeah, weren't on that. That was Mark no, Andreessen's No, they yelled playground. at journalists the whole time. Why would I be on that? They told journalists they were scum. So, no. Hey, but it was I worth did. billions. It's worth billions, Yeah, Kara. I should have gone to prepare for... Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I, I should have gone yes. to prepare for uh, what Twitter has become, but I didn't, uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> Uh, but do you know Seema? Uh, not really well. No, I don't. And uh, it'll be interesting to talk to her about it because, you know, people, we, even though we were sitting joking about weight loss, people talk about it a lot. This is an issue mm -hmm. that's really an important one. And tech has tried to attack it in different ways. So I'll be interested to see what she has to say. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our guest, Weight Watcher CEO Seema Sistani. This episode is brought to you by On Investing, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Each week, hosts Liz Ann Saunders, Schwab's Chief Investment Strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's Chief Fixed Income Strategist, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around equities, fixed income, the economy, and more. Join Kathy, Liz Ann, and their guests as they share insights on what might be moving the markets and why, as well as what indicators they are watching for signs of change. They'll also answer investor questions on everything from how sectors are evolving to what the bond markets are telling us, to where to look for opportunities and considerations for your portfolio. You can download the latest episode of On Investing and subscribe so you never miss an episode at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. briefly explain what how you got to Weight Watchers. I was a member first, uh 2014 actually. And um well my mother, she's a registered dietitian and she actually has her PhD in food science. I I grew up with healthy habits in my life. I feel like I understood what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And when I had my first child, I I gained almost 60 pounds, and I had a really hard time losing it. And um, I tried probably every snake oil and fad that was out there. And my mom was like, if you're not going to listen to me, just go on Weight Watchers. And I thought, what? W which the snake oils? oils? <laughs> what fad? You know, what the juice diets and uh, fasting and paleo and all, you know, there's all kinds of things. Um, but ultimately, you know, none of it worked for me, and and none of it held me accountable. And so I, I found... Weight Watchers really kept me on track through the community, through the accountability. And also I realized during that time that I was suffering from um, a thyroid condition that, um, mm -hmm. you know, but anyways, between the two things, it worked. But being a product person, I also wanted to throw my phone against the wall. I didn't think it was a, a compelling user experience. Um, fast forward to 2020, uh, it's the middle of the pandemic, and you know I was very deep in all things house party, and it occurred to me I started to explain house party for people that don't know what it is. House party is a group video chat. I mean that's the most simple way to describe it. But we were trying to solve um, empathy in online communication. I wanted my kids to know the right facial response to happiness, sadness, not just the right emojis. We were leaning into synchronous forms of communication as a way to be the next best thing to IRL. Um, and we had started House Party way before COVID, but 
that was a time where people really leaned into video communication and it catalyzed what we were doing. Right. So explain what happened to House Party. Because these people have been trying to do video get-togethers for a while. Talk about the difficulty of building community because it, it's it goes in and out, whether it's a chat roulette. I mean, there's so many of them. I've forgotten all the ones I've covered. There's so many. It's Look, it's network effects at the end of the day. And now we have really, really big networks out there that when they see the new feature, which a lot of these networks you come for the tool, stay for the network, are built on some sort of tool. And for our house party, it was group video chat. And the moment that the bigger networks see something taking off, they embrace it and they push it forward. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that's great. What we tried to set out to do was to, to get people to build these tools into their networks. And so um, we did the same. You know, we sold our company to Epic Games. We took a lot of all the best parts of House Party and we built them into Fortnite so that we could build a more empathetic, trusting metaverse like Third Space. And so that ends up being the outcome for a lot of the new ways of connecting, engaging people is that they make the networks that are already out there, you know, better. Better. But just to take a step back here, I was listening to Oprah's podcast, and she was interviewing Tina Fey. Just so you're aware, Oprah uh, bought a 10% stake in Weight Watchers in 2015. Yes, she's on my board. um, And in that podcast, Tina Fey, who is a lifelong Weight Watchers, talks about how she's not on any social media and how she was in Weight Watchers Connect. And that's where she posted. That's where she went to, like, fill her tank. And it just was like this huge aha moment for me that was like, oh my gosh, here behind a paywall, because people are coming together with this huge vulnerability and a shared interest in weight loss, that this was the true empathetic social network, what I've been trying to work on and build. And so I actually reached out to the company and I thought, you all must be trying to figure out this digital era, especially in the midst of COVID where the retail IRL workshops are closing down. Can I be of service? How can I help? I had no interest in leaving house party. So I I reached out to the company. I was interested in joining the board. You know, the timing wasn't right for me to join. And two years later, they called me about, hey, are you interested in the CEO opportunity? And it was the perfect timing for me. And it was a moment for me to take all of what I had built around digitizing social relationships and apply it to health outcomes and to help people through community, through accountability, achieve better weight health. All right. So you thought you'd be on the board of Weight Watchers, but so you, and you decided, I think I'll take it because it's, it's an analog company, really. It's still, even though they use an app and I agree their app is terrible. I think that that's the misconception is that it is still an analog company. In a lot of ways, that's why I'm here is because we were still being run like one. And, and the biggest change here, and I said this when through the process of, of considering this role is with the board who was interviewing me is if you're if you choose me you're choosing to put a disruptor in the seat you're choosing the strategy and the strategy is going to be uncomfortable at first and this company was founded 60 years ago by a woman Jean Nidich and it has all of the dynamics around what we consider to be some of the leading ways people connect right it's got repeat encounters it's got reciprocity built in it's got gamification in the way the point system manifests it's got all of these ways to really help people with health outcomes 
but it wasn't showing up in a digital first way. And that's what I was focused on is like, let's double down on the things that we do really well, coaching, community, our nutrition and lifestyle therapies. But let's like turn over the whole thing such that we're taking a digital first approach and we're more like a growth company than anything else. Right. So that you need growth, you need a, a different generation. What What are the numbers now of Weight Watchers? What is the amount of members do you have? Well, we guided uh, in March that we would end Q1 at around 4 million members. And um, an age range? Oh, and our age is somewhere between, you know, we say we talk about our her, majority women between the ages of 30 to 55. Okay. Now, everyone uses digital. I don't want to assume. But is the goal to stay relevant in a TikTok generation situation, I guess? I would say it's less about that landscape. It's more about taking the things that we already do and doing them in with like a more modern lens. Also in just how we run the company. It's actually, there wasn't a ton of technical debt when I arrived. It was more organizational debt. It was like, are we going to take the best ways of like the ways growth tech works with data informed, agile development, being able to be truthful about what's working, what's not, postmortems, all this sort of the things that we take for granted, I would say, and apply it to this business, this industry. So we, you know, the first thing we did was shut down a bunch of features and product lines that weren't working. Such as? Uh, Digital 360, our, e, you know, e-commerce business internationally, consumer products. Um, there was... So there, that's selling Weight Watchers food, right? That kind of stuff? Exactly. And I'd, so mm -hmm. the strategy and has why, been... why wasn't it working? Low margins, you know, ultimately, I think that it was driving the company into a bunch of different directions versus our critical North Star of connecting people through healthy habits. And so what the company needed was focused. And if we don't take a digital first approach, the life cycle is that we'll let others outside of our business disrupt us versus us taking the first steps. The blockbuster example is the one I, I like to give. It's not like the blockbuster CEO at the time didn't see Netflix coming. They were just too scared to take Take the, the hard decisions of getting rid of late fees because it was a big part of their operating income. But had they done that and moved to subscription, maybe they would have had a different story. And that's what we're doing right now. We're making those hard, short-term decisions for the long-term health of the business. So is it too scared or too comfortable? Because a lot of people, I, I'm just working on my memoirs and I have a quote with Bob Iger told me way back when he took over at Disney, he said, if someone's going to eat our lunch, it might as well be us because he knew it was coming. But is it too scared or too comfortable when you're shifting it? Because you could be seen as, oh, God, the tech lady's here. Like, it's to both. Tell us we suck. It's, it's, it's both. And we don't suck. That's the important thing is there's so much of what we're doing. There's a reason why it's the doctor, number one doctor recommended program. It's been, you know, we have, we have a legacy of people that we've helped succeed. And that's part of the business model is when people succeed, they leave our program. But in the old days, because people were coming in IRL workshops, they continued to come because it was social, because they had a peer group. That's what we're investing in for the third space, our digital space, how people are going to continue to connect and stay in the program. But the Bob Iger example is exactly right. People forget that Disney was a turnaround in some respects when he joined. Disney animation was failing. It was because he embraced Pixar, new ways of work, that allowed him to then go look at Marvel and Lucas and like really pull together an entirely new strategy that took the core of 
of then Disney animation and made it better and uplifted that thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a pivot. It wasn't a, a move to try to do something that isn't what Disney does best. It was seeing what was out there and not letting it eat its lunch. And that's what we're doing. Okay. And of course, you're not eating lunch because it's Weight Watchers. But no, I'm teasing. You're eating the healthy lunch, the biggest threat to Weight Watchers We are right for people now. who so, love food. Okay. What is to you, when you thought the biggest threat to Weight Watchers right now externally, is it the gym, Ozempic, and we'll get into that, um, Those all those weight loss drugs, or the meal plan business or businesses like Noom? There's a lot of different places. They've certainly come in and had been very popular, especially among young people, for example. I think that the biggest threat to Weight Watchers is Weight Watchers. So, um, you okay. know, we, we... Well, that's a, that's that's the answer the CEO would say. But go ahead. <laughs> no, but it's, but, it, but it's actually exactly right. I mean, as we can get in our own way. It's um, suicide, not murder. We have to make sure that we continue to evolve and change. Um, I would say that if anything outside of us is getting in the way of us being able to really continue to be the leaders in in the weight management space, it has to do with social, honestly, because every other person now is an expert in the space on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. And there's a lot of misinformation. And, yeah. and that's difficult to manage, certainly. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's how we show up in the world. And we have a lot of control. This is very different than when Marissa came to Yahoo and tried to turn it around. Yahoo's behind the curve in mobile, on the social internet. We're still the leaders in the space. So it's ours to lose. It's not the other way around. So one of the things is I always wondered why, you know, one, that you let Noom get so big. Like, obviously, new brands are attractive to people, so there's nothing to be done about that. But one of the things I always thought was why not use video more when you saw all those social influencers and I did on whether they're on TikTok on reels like why not embrace the good ones into it because this is how people were taking in content right I thought content was always the weakest part of Weight Watchers it was so static the content which is I think very important you want to learn about the latest thing or the latest food or the latest nutritional thing and because people are, are very attracted when it comes to diet to the next thing or, or at least they want to know about it People are always looking at our industry is is unique in that way. They are looking for the shiny object. You know, remember South Beach, remember Adkins, right? There's always been a, you know, a, a new shiny object. And the reason we've been around for 60 years is because we haven't hopped on those fads. We've always been evidence-based. And I think content is an important part of how we deliver the curriculum and the education and that there's plenty that we can do to better that experience. And we've been working on it both, not just within our app behind the paywall, but also how we show up just on our own social media. And more broadly, I, I think, we, you know, we've really started to invest in our brand in that way and, and being more relevant and part of the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Look, we had a program, Digital 360, which was more that one-to-many model. And it and it didn't work. Um, and it the reason explain what it did. Explain what Digital 360 did. I mean, I would describe it more like a Peloton style approach where it was there were coaches that were delivering sort of broadcast-based content. So it, live and also live to tape, and people could access that content. But what true accountability brings and where true networks are created is not when a bunch of people follow one person. Like, I love Ali Love on, you know, in Peloton, but I'm not really connected to other people who love Ali Love. Mm -hmm. The way people with 
weight loss, they need to get connected to peer groups. And I think that there's something to be said for within that group, for those people to be able to share more content with each other. So the relationships are about the member to coach, the member to member, and creating that dynamic so that it's more of a few to few model than one to many. I I see what you mean. But I got to tell you, your app sucks. So does Noom's app, honestly. All the apps suck. The inputting thing you're preaching to the choir. I mean, I'm. that's what I'm changing. But the app, the UX, if you haven't tried it in a while, it's better, but it's going to be a lot better in the second half of the year. We're introducing a bunch of all new right. features. I got to tell you, all of, I haven't seen an app that I think is good yet that I just at our, so, you know, compared to a music app or any app, but I'm like, this just sucks. Searching for things, adding them in yourself. You're exactly right. And like, think about what AI can do. You could start to take pictures and it, take a picture of your fridge, tell you exactly where a five point food can come from. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we're, we're building in. And that's where I, when I took this, cause I watched Marissa do all the things that didn't work at Yahoo. And I thought about, is this a challenge I want to take on? The difference is we're ahead of the game. And so we literally just have to change the culture of how we build and think about this. It was a marketing-led company. And now we are um, like solving problems. And it's like, I hate to say it, low-hanging fruit. So now we've brought in like our new head of product is from WhatsApp. Our head of marketing is from Maisonette and Birchbox. Our new head of people is from Patreon. It's just a totally different culture that we're infusing into the company while also keeping all of what makes it special because you don't come to a a company like Weight Watchers unless you've had personal experience with this. So we got a lot of passionate people who, you know, we don't want to freaking move fast and break things because that's that's not what you want to do with people's health. No, not at all. But you announced that you would acquire Sequence, which is described as a, quote, platform for clinical weight management for $132 million. They prescribe uh, GLP-1 drugs, basically a Zempic. Talk about the impetus for this deal. These are these drugs, semi-glutide, mm-hmm. something like that. That's correct. That's right. Semi-glutide. Yeah. And they are, they make you not hungry, essentially. I'm, I'm not, my brother, the doctor will go crazy when I say this, but essentially <laughs> that's what they do is they quash cravings and things like that. It's a huge market. Um, talk a little bit about why you did this because your, your philosophy has been centered on, as you were saying several times, personal accountability and not medical intervention. So walk me through this deal and why you bought it. Yeah, so um, semaglutide or or semaglutide, both are both are correct. It essentially mimics the natural occurring hormones that help our body regulate appetite, and it's a game changer. Like doctors, scientists, mm-hmm. they will all say this: these drugs are a game changer, and. As the global leader in weight management, I felt, you know, one of the first things I did was, again, look at new modalities and and what are the evidence-based treatments that are out there. Behavioral change is our crown jewel, but I see clinical and functional as both being pathways that we can, um, that we should uh, give our members access to. And that doesn't mean that everybody should be on these medications, absolutely that's not the case. There are certain people where it's medically appropriate and others where it's not. But it's amazing to see the way that they are able to help people adhere to the healthy habits that they've tried to access their entire life. And we're we're just starting to realize um, that, yes, there's like the hungry brain, but there's also the hungry gut. And these medications help address that. And I think that it's a lot like you know, the way we might think about hypertension in the 70s is like mm-hmm. we got recognized as a disease. And then in the 80s, there were these medications and ACE inhibitors that people could take. But 
it wasn't till really the 90s where it was finally like, okay, there are combination therapies. Yes, you need to have a low-sodium diet. You should stop smoking. You should do all of these lifestyle changes. Behavioral changes. Behavioral changes, but there's also people who need the medication alongside to have the the best outcomes. And that's what we're seeing now. You're doing an and thing. I mean, this idea is definitely an and. um, this was in a Giotolentino piece, but I think this says it right, that metabolism and appetite are biological facts, not moral choices. But what's happened, though, it's, got, it's gotten sort of hijacked by celebrities in a lot of ways and people who either don't really need to lose weight that much or, or are using it for massive weight. I'm Elon Musk has used it. Allegedly, all kinds of people are using it. Some people talk about it. Some people don't. Uh, some people are suddenly quite thin uh, who had, had weight issues. Um Talk a little bit about th- how that's happened. Does it look like you're jumping on a on a bandwagon here? And I know these drugs have been around for a long time. There's also the problem of people with type 2 diabetes not getting these drugs because everyone else is taking them to lose that last 20 pounds. So talk about the sort of the confluence of real trend and group of people that maybe aren't the best ambassadors for this. That's exactly it. I, I think that it's unfortunate that that it's become the kind of the clickbait headlines um, and the attention is being put on, quote unquote, weight loss drugs versus these are medications for chronic weight management. Those are two very different things. And the attention on sort of the, the celebrity of it all um, is taking away from the real possibilities to solve public health issues for not just Americans, but the the globe. And I think it has a lot to do with our society and the stigma around obesity. I mean, if we had said, we found these new medications and they're going to address Alzheimer's or cancer or Parkinson's or something, wouldn't everybody be talking about access and how do we increase access and embracing these medications? It's because of the stigma around obesity that has become such a clickbait issue. I mean, mental health is another great example. It took a global pandemic for the private sector and for society to adequately acknowledge and invest and innovate on mental health. We used to call it mental illness. It was a a condition. And then, you know, really COVID forced us to confront the issue and understand that it was under-resourced and that there's more that we can be doing. I mean, I think that the same is true for obesity and weight health is just one of the most neglected problems. But who do you think should take these medicines? What is Weight Watchers thinking um, about anyone who wants them? Or how do you? How are you going to think about that? Oh, I mean, absolutely not. Like, what it, we are following the FDA regulations here. It's like if you have a BMI over twenty-seven plus a another, you know, weight related condition or BMI over 30. Um, That happens to be a big portion of our population. And even then, it's like the decision is between the clinician and the patient. That is not part of the business. So I'll take a step back here with regard to Sequence and the company that we acquired. You know, what they are providing is a platform to connect a patient with a clinician we are in the business of the subscription, not the prescription. If the doctor has decided that is medically appropriate for the person to be on a medication, whether that is GLP-1 or otherwise, then they would uh, be moved into sort of this care team model. And I think that's really what people are missing is with the sequence is why it's so exciting is it's doing two really important things. One is this insurance layer that this pre-auth engine that it allows people to be able to get 
insured. And then the second- it's expensive. People don't realize how expensive it is. Yes, it's it's It's, it's $1,000 a month when not covered by insurance. Correct. And and so, so you have this automation engine. And then secondly, is they've built a really great platform for both the clinician and the member. So it's like being in a WhatsApp group with a whole care team. This isn't like an ED script that you could just like get in the mail and like live, go along your merry way. No, it has to be management. Well, although a lot of people can, a lot of people just are doing that. It's almost like when they used to get weed different ways. You go in and say, <laughs> I've had a headache and, you know, in California, now everyone can get it anytime, but it is available easily for most it, people. You can get it right in the mail by just saying, I feel like I need it. Well, it's right. not medically appropriate to get it that way. And also, by the way, it needs cold storage. I've been hearing some crazy stories of, you know, it's it's not actually even one of the brand names. It's a compounded. Who knows? There's a lot of bad actors in the space right now. But part of the reason we're now taking a vocal stance here is to address the misinformation, is to get ahead of bad actors, is for people to understand when it is medically appropriate or not. And if they are somebody who the doctors have deemed medically appropriate, that they have a full care team around them because the titration of these medications and the care that needs to go around to make sure to manage the symptoms throughout the weight loss journey is very high touch. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of support for people to do it well. Well, people are just grabbing it anyway, like a lot of things. But you don't just go on and off them for people who don't know that. The side effects can include nausea and doesn't last necessarily, but there's nausea, dizziness, fatigue, diarrhea, and constipation. Some people get a gray tinge to their skin. Some people gain as much weight back as soon as they stop taking a drug. It could be a lifelong drug that you take. Um, how do you look at it as a temporary tool or a maintenance drug, like statins? I'm on a statin, for example. And that's exactly it. Is there medications for chronic management. And so similarly, I'm on Synthroid and I will be for the rest of my life. And if I come off of it, then I will bounce back to all of the symptoms and issues I had before I went on the medication. And if you end up on these medications, you could titrate the dosage, certainly, but you'll be on these medications likely for the rest of your life. We'll be back in a minute. Support for On With Kara Swisher comes from NerdWallet. You don't have to be a genius to start making better financial decisions today. It's not that sexy, but piling up lots of little monetary victories today can yield some pretty significant rewards down the line. The tricky part is knowing where to start. NerdWallet can help. Their financial experts have helped countless people find new ways to maximize every dollar they earn. Now the team is helping folks get more from every dollar they spend. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credits side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering up to 10 times the points on every dollar you charge. Their expert team of nerds did the work reviewing top credit cards so you can trust that you have the smartest one for future you. If I had better rewards right now, I would probably travel to Hawaii and be sitting on a beach and not talking into this microphone right now. I would be enjoying a Mai Tai, possibly swimming, doubtful I would be surfing, but I would spend them all there. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So how important is the line between medical need and aesthetic desire? You're going to get a lot of people who just want to 
lose that 20 pounds, right? That last five pounds. I've, I still have the, the weight right above where I had a cesarean. It's never going away. It's, it's, it lives with me. I've named it. You have a new set point. Yeah, I, I've named it. It's, it's who I am. Um, and it, no matter what I do, it's there. Even when I lose weight, it's there. Um, so how, talk about that medical need and aesthetic desire, because I have a lot of friends recently who are doing a lot of either ozempic or surgeries, something I would never consider. But talk about that, because some days you're like, I cannot lose that 20 pounds. I cannot, why not just make have an easy way to do it rather than behavioral or exercise, the right eating, et cetera? Um, I, I think that if you have 10 to 20 pounds to lose, you should be on a behavior change program. You should be working towards lifestyle therapies. You should be trying fitness or you should be accepting your body. I'm the same way that I got to. I mean, there's just a new set point for my body post babies. It, it is what it is. Um, and this is a great thing about, you know, our body positivity movement and the shift towards really, you know, what our body does for us and, and not trying to aspire to some aspirational or conform to some idealized version of, of our bodies. And so, no, these drugs are certainly not for getting yourself into reunion shape or <laughs> ready for a summer vacation. They are for the management of a, of a chronic disease and condition. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the clickbait and the attention has been put on the vanity of the medications because it's making it harder for us to actually address the public health concerns and what these medications can actually be doing. Well, that's too. been the whole diet industry. Every time, every month, there's a book that, okay, if you only eat pork chops, that's the way to go. Or, you know, you've seen all those books and everyone mm -hmm. grabs them, the lettuce diet, the keto diet. Diet, the whole 30, all of which have elements of good things, right? Like in right. many ways, stop eating the bread kind of thing. Um, low carb, no carb, fat free, fat full. You know, it, so it, this is what the whole diet industry lives on, doesn't it? That's why it's even more important to recognize that the movement to embracing clinical it's not a trend. This is an innovation. It's a complete paradigm shift in our industry. But I want to take a step back in, in what you were saying, I think is really important in terms of like diet culture. And just acknowledge for a minute that diet culture is just, it's culture. You know, in the mm -hmm. 60s, the ideal was British, wave-like, twiggy, right? Then it was toned legs, sun-kissed skin in the 70s and 80s was like the hard body aerobics and the 90s was heroin chic. Like this it's culture and it permeates all aspects of society. And that is that is something that we all need to be aware of and fight back in some ways. It's like the shift that has happened over the uh, past few years and thanks in part, and this is one of the positive sides of social, is social and people having a voice mm -hmm. and really opening up the floodgates around body acceptance. There's so much good in that. And but there doesn't have to be a false dichotomy between those cultural conversations. Like you should be able to accept your body and also look for weight health and those things can coexist. Is the culture now ozempic thin? Is it becoming that? Is that you were talking about all, you, you named all the different trends. You forgot the juice <laughs> trend in there. There was a short, oh, that was more Silicon Valley, if you recall. Yeah. What was the company there that everyone Soylent? was doing? Anyway. Is that what uh, you're thinking of? Whatever. Soylent. Oh God, <laughs> that was so stupid. That was time saving. That wasn't weight loss. 
us. And then the tech bros were all the fasting people, the fasting timing. The biohackers. Biohack, whatever, go for it. You're still a terrible person, <laughs> is what I used to think. Um, but when you think about it, what is the culture now? Is it that idea that there's a pill for that? Is it an Ozempic thing? Because one of the things that I've noticed really is people cannot stop talking about it. And I get that these things, they couldn't stop talking about keto. They couldn't stop talking about this and that. Does that pass? And what safeguards are you putting in place as people clamor for what you ha have to offer? I think that what's happening in society today is all of these are sort of symptoms and reflections of us living these two-dimensional lives, right? We're stuck in these reels to, I don't, I don't know, not mm -hmm. use that word on purpose, but we're stuck in these these feeds and reels of people living like these unattainable face-tuned lives. And, and that makes it harder for everyone to sort of find acceptance and, and happiness. And, and so, um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I I think it's a hard one. It's one that I that I worry about as I you know look at my kids and think about you know what their future might look like. But I think that part of our job right now is to switch the conversation and to try to move it away from the vanity aspects of these medications versus all of the real amazing you know, scientifically proven health benefits mm -hmm. that could come from, you know, in, in right. IBA, sure. preventative, right? Our whole American healthcare system is based on a disease model. And we have medications now when if we get them into more and more people's hands, we have two thirds of Americans who are living with overweight and obesity, we could get in front of heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, arthritis, some cancers, like this is, these are life-changing. And that's the conversation that I wish we were having. It's just not what people want to click on. Right. So how do you do that? Because social media is fueled with Ozempic. It's everyone's favorite game to figure who's on it and who's not. Social media is fueled, obviously, body image issues, that which has been going on for a long time, especially for women and girls who are bombarded with images of the ideal body. How do you counter that at Weight Watchers? Again, what are the safeguards that you're thinking about when you're messaging this stuff? From an overall standpoint, I, I would say that we're trying to lead the conversation in terms of healthy eating. And if you look at word clouds for diet, for instance, it's all associated with so many negative words of deprivation. And, you know, what we want to do is like, let people know that you can love the body that you're in. You can also want to lose weight, um, but that it's not about chasing a one-size-fits-all number on your scale or in your clothing size. Some of the ways that we actually build that into our program is through the assessments, both on sequence and in Weight Watchers' core program, is to manage out people who have an eating disorder or, or under a certain BMI. We also ask them to set their own goals about what they're looking to achieve and what kind of metrics they want to be. We just now in January, we started giving everybody a smart scale so that it's not just about the weight, but it's also about muscle mass and bone density and hydration and giving people just like a holistic look at their health. I think more information, but also safeguarding again on the clinical side of things is that the clinician is not employed by Weight Watchers or by Sequence. We're just the platform in between these two. We don't actually prescribe the medication, nor do we make any money from it. So those are all sort of the safeguards in place to make sure. So it's a service. It's a service you're providing. It's a service. It's a care team model. It's a curriculum. 
you know, there's fitness, nutrition guidelines, all of the things to help you manage through, you know, the medication and and to map it to the behavior change. Because here's another thing is like a lot of these clinical trials, what people are missing is you don't just like melt 15 to 20 percent of your weight. They're also doing it alongside a lifestyle program in every single one of the clinical therapies. When you get the script, the FDA recommendation is to do it alongside lifestyle change. So it's like if you're on a statin, you still have to have a low fat diet, right? So yeah, you can't um, just go to town. Exactly. So I want to end talking about the idea of body imagery and how it's changed because it doesn't seem like it's moved even slightly. Let me read you from Sam Anderson's New York Times Magazine piece last year, and I want Mm -hmm. you to sort of think about it. I poked around on my phone and downloaded a weight loss app called Noom. It seemed like a suddenly ubiquitous online popping up in tweets and banner ads and the random testimony from someone I followed on Instagram. I felt silly about it, so at first I didn't tell anyone. Yes, I found it humiliating to be overweight, but I also found it humiliating to be worried about being overweight. I wanted to lose the weight, but I didn't want to be seen as wanting to lose weight, even by myself. How do you change the idea of the shame that is still, it's the only thing you can insult people about still to this day. Talk about how you then, when you're in Weight Watchers, get people past that and think that if only I have Ozempic, I'll be skinny and then everything will be solved. Yeah. Um, This is uh, going back to the kind of the common thread of, of these, of, of around body acceptance is that there's shame for gaining weight, there's shame for losing weight, there's shame for loving the body you're in, there's shame for wanting to change the body you're in. And what Sam was describing there is like, is a part of that shame right now is even being the moment that you start thinking about or wanting to address your weight health, people say that that's disordered eating. Well, I, I felt that when I was trying to lose, uh, you know, my my weight and I started tracking, people were like, oh, well, that's disordered eating. I was like, how's that different from me tracking my, like, finances? You know, I need a budget and I'm trying to understand it. And by the way, that's coming from a really privileged place in a lot of circumstances where we yeah. grew up with understanding and education around health, what is healthy, what is not healthy. And we take for granted that everybody knows that. And we say, oh, you should just be intuitive about your eating. Well, for some people, they need help with what the intuition even is. So it's just this false narrative that continues to perpetuate the body shaming cycle that we're in. And what we're trying to do is work against it, but I don't have a good answer to that. I want my kids to, you know, embrace their bodies and to not even be focused on it. We even body positivity moved to body neutrality just because of that, because it was like, even by being positive, you're telling me to focus on it in some way. It's like, I just need, I just want to exist in the world. And, you know, I I think that that's, that's a a, a a fraught cultural conversation. There's a lot of stigma against those with overweight and obesity. And because oh, of yeah. that, it's also meaning that we're challenging the science around it. It's and as opposed to, you know, having the discussion and being able to talk about improving people's quality of life and the prevention of future illness and just being happy for people who could find that through wh- whatever pathway it might be, we start shaming people around it. I mean, going back to the celebrity of it all, you see that with celebrities as well. They lose weight and it's immediately like, oh, you know, suddenly we love Adele and then we don't love Adele. I I just, uh, it's hard for me to even put myself in those shoes. It's like the anti-vaxxer conversation or something. It's um, yeah. it's a level of shame that exists in our society. And we all just, uh, the more awareness we have around it and the more we speak to it, the hopefully that we can start getting in front of these like unrealistic, non-inclusive conversations. 
All right. Last question. You've been in tech for over a decade. You've worked at Yahoo. You've worked at uh, House Party. Is Weight Watchers a tech company or a content company or what? How would you describe it? Because everything's a tech company, I guess, in a weird way. But how would you describe it? We're a software company. We're providing a human-centric software We're tech company at our core. 80% of our members are experiencing us through digital. And I think that that's where the market is missing what we're doing right now because we're making a lot of hard decisions with just that are having short-term impact. But at long-term outlook here is that one of growth tech. I mean, we're building a human-centric platform that is going to help people achieve these like amazing health outcomes. And the thing that I know you are really interested in longevity, Kara, like one of the the, mm-hmm. the studies that I that I looked at before joining Weight Watchers and that I, I find is core to our vision is Dan Butner's research on blue zones and where he has looked at the places in the world where people live to be a hundred centenarians. And it's not just how they move or what they eat both of which we address through our food algorithm and our program. But it's the social circles. It's the community. And so, I mean, we were the OG social network. And what I'm doing here right now is building us out into a third space, a digital first era. And that makes us, I think, inherently our DNA is as a tech company. All right. Seema Sistani, thank you so much. Thank you. It's on. Okay, two things before we debrief. I love the throwback mm-hmm. to Soylent. My ex-boyfriend in San Francisco used to eat that for every meal for a little while. Drink it. it was very creepy. Drink it. I don't no remember. Eating. It was very no. sad. It was becoming real tech bro. Um, but can I ask, what did you name the weight you get? You said you named weight that you had gained. Barbara. Barbara. Barbara? After yeah. Barbara Walters? It's either Walters or Streisand. Just Barbara. I don't know. I just like the name. I like the <laughs> word. It never goes away if you have a cesarean unless you get it taken off, and I have not done that. So. I think it's good to accept it and name it. It's, there's nothing I can do about it. It will be with me the rest of my life. So um, That conversation I thought was really good. The question still remains personal accountability versus medical intervention. Mm-hmm. Seema said they were in the subscription business, not the prescription business, but clinicians mm-hmm. that Sequence partners with do have the ability to prescribe. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. why people buy the subscription in the first place. So yeah. sure. what do you, do you, did you buy that? Were you swayed? Well, I think it's important for their business to have the solution. They can't avoid it. You know what I mean? Like to mm-hmm. pretend it's not happening is stupid from a CEO point of view. So, you know, all these drug yeah. makers are making these drugs and they will be available to people. And so they're going to get it one way or the other. And it's, you know, a lot of people say that it gets you to better eating habits once you stop uh, craving and and binging. And so I do think they, they need to be in it. I don't think they have a choice. I liked your weed analogy because I think this is that's a kind of slippery slope, right? It, mm-hmm. it gets into the question, like, which is when something gets normalized, when you're dealing with insurance preauthorization, mm-hmm. you're making something very accessible. Mm-hmm. How do you prevent a race to the bottom or just like a kind of free-for-all? Yes, exactly. Again, every drug maker is making one of these. So yeah. it, it will. everyone will have them, right? And, and so what? what's the best way to do it? What's the best for you? Any way that makes medicine easier for people, I, I, I think that about one medical. I think that about a lot of things. Like you as long as medical. it's, I know, but it's <laughs> it's right because it's easy. But should it be easy? I'm not saying should it be easy because I want to shame individuals who you know are obese or have diabetes, and I, I certainly don't want to do that. But should it be easy for us as a society? Because when it's easy for us as a society to just like treat the symptom, we're not going to address the underlying causes. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, and sugar taxes, like it I mean, doesn't like- work. It doesn't work. You, it's okay if there's a there's a medical solution 
There's some very good medical solutions to depression. Like just just get happier. Just work through it. Don't be so sad. But you know? what do you mean it doesn't doesn't work? I mean that's because companies are like you know lining. Are, that's are, not why. It's because food tastes good. Because it's 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 really hard to resist this stuff, and people have a relation with food, and there's a lot of it now. For most, but cigarettes taste good to people who smoke them, and yet we were able to change behavior around that. I feel like that isn't that kind of cop out to say it's just what's going to happen. Well, there's a lot of interventions. There's a lot of medical interventions for people. I'm talking about smoke. regulatory interventions as well. No, there's there's a ton of medical interventions that allowed a lot of people to get off with the patch and everything else. Yeah. So it's a combination of regulatory. You can't make. You can't regulate food. That was so stupid of, uh, of Bloomberg of to Bloomberg. try to do the I sugar tax. What do you mean you can't regulate food? You can regulate food in Europe, but you could say what is it? You can food. regulate it, but you can't say don't drink big, big sugar drinks. No, but you can say we're going to tax it or, you know. That worked so well. Yeah, it didn't work well. For people who don't know, Bloomberg wanted to tax soda in New York City. And I think that you have anywhere. to give people a range of solutions and medical should be among them. And it should be a systemic thing, like I said. Fixing marketing and labeling would be a great thing, too. They've tried. Let's just have people People stop eating this stuff. And maybe if this is the first step towards that, that's great. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I always love when people tell me the FDA recommendations of lifestyle changes along medicine. And I think about all the people I know who've like taken heart medicine and then eaten steaks because they can still. So No, you don't do that. <laughs> I take statin. I don't eat steaks anymore very much. Not very often, for sure. Um, Seema said weight loss and shaming culture is the culture. No, shame, no. The shame is a big part of it. Being fat is the only thing you can be insulted, like you talked about. It's the only thing you can be insulted about, you know, without... What do you mean by that? I think you can make fat jokes still. I think it's easy as someone who had a child who was a little bit overweight. I don't think you can still make those. I think kids do. I think they do. I think it's one of those areas that people can still make commentary on and you don't pay a price that you you should pay for being cruel to people. And they also are, listen, there's co- coverage after coverage is they, t- they don't, they, they don't listen to fat people when they have health, real health problems because they think they're lazy doctors. There's all kinds of, yeah uh, kinds of stuff. So anyway. It's like women shaming too. I mean, social yeah. media has done, I think one good thing around all of a sudden the conversation has moved from skinny to strong. And mm-hmm. I feel like in my generation, I, I love that. And I see people who have young girls now and talk about getting strong. Mm-hmm. which is a much healthier kind of conversation, I think, than when I grew up. But by the way, in Pakistan, you know what aunties say to you is, you look healthy when you gain weight. So you're, they'll be like, oh, you're looking very healthy. And it's a real insult oh, that they're right. giving you. See? It's worldwide. It's, it's worldwide. Well, it seems like Seema Sistani has a very interesting background. And we'll like I, I like her yeah. personal connection with the Weight Watchers. So let's see. She's navigating. I'm sure there'll be a ton of pushback. I'm sure there'll be some bad yeah. news stories. And she's an interesting person to be at the helm. Yeah. It's nice that a younger person who's who has sex background should be part of this. It's a, it's a good choice for them. Great. All right. Want to read us out, Kara? Yep. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rosell, and Rafaela Seward. Our engineers are Fernando Aruda and Rick Kwan. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get a plane ticket to a blue zone where you will live to be 100. If not, it's a bottle of soylent from the former Recode offices. It's only been there, I don't know, 10 years. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher, and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.